I'm Amanda. And I'm Mike. And this, this is Saturday, Saturday Morning, Morning Cereal. Hey everyone, and welcome to our season finale of Saturday Morning Cereal, season four. I'm Amanda here with Mike, and today we are going to have a discussion on the new Star Wars television series on Disney Plus and Hulu andor. Um, also, we're just going to talk about a couple upcoming movies and shows that we're particularly excited for in 2023. Um, once again, though, apologies for the lateness in this episode. Life just happened for us and it seemed like every time we wanted to record this episode something happened and it just diverted our attention so again apologies for the delay in this and um before i say anything too happy holidays whatever you celebrate i hope you guys all have fun with family friends nice and relaxing time so without further ado let's get into the discussion All right, and we again want to welcome back serial fan member Chris. Welcome Glad back to, to the be podcast. Back. Once again, Chris is a huge Star Wars fan, so very excited to have him back on here. So let's kick off the discussion. So Andor is, of course, following the adventures of Andor before Rogue One, and he is the gray moral character introduced in that movie. So Diego Luna does return as Cassian Endor. We also have uh, Stellan Sarsgaard, who you might recognize from the Thor movies as Lutheran. And we have Guinevere O'Reilly as Mon Mothra. And we have Adrina Arjorna as Bix. And that's pretty much the main cast. And Andy Serkis, of course, pops up as Andy Serkis' name. I don't remember the character's name, no. But it was pretty cool to have him back on, though. Yeah, he's just Andy Serkis. Like, yeah. I can't remove him from being Andy Serkis. He's just Andy Serkis. <laughs> Except when he's Gollum or Smeagol. Then he's, then he's those. So, uh, Andor's kind of you know split why. up into, like, I guess, uh, three different, like, miniature adventures, right? So we have the, the opening first couple episodes that deal with casting Endor on his uh this planet he sold on with his adoptive mother as he uh tries to run around and escape this evil corporation that is policing the planet we have a whole heist type of situation after that and then we have a prison break and finally we have uh what happens after the prison break like just Cassidy Andor coming back to his planet to say goodbye to his adoptive mother who has passed away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of that is kind of fuzzy, too, after the prison break, just because it kind of fizzles out, in my opinion. I don't know. Chris, did you have a favorite arc or uh, like series of like episodes in this show, or was the whole thing kicking for you? Um, I think if I have to choose one let's say of like the three arcs, cause you have kind of the intro, you have the raid, then you have the prison. Um, if I'm choosing an arc, I would say the prison. Um, I think for a lot of people, the prison scene is, and just that those few episodes 
kind of shifted, I think, a lot of people's view of the show. Um, people were maybe sitting on the fence. That was the thing that really pushed them. I was bought in right from the first start, but um, that that arc was the one that like made me like you know fist pumping and you know really enjoying everything that was going on. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I really did like the last two episodes though too. It's just kind of a closure wrapping things up, um, you know, bringing all of these stories together into one place, you know, cause obviously the whole story was multiple stories going on at once, but, uh, those last two episodes really, really brought it together to me and closed out that season, leaving the door open for what season two will be. And yeah, I think, yeah, it's just great. I really enjoyed the, uh, the heist. I, there's only something fun about a heist movie or a heist episode of a TV show. And it was just, it's what Star Wars is. It's about the bad guys trying, the, the good guys trying to like damage like the bad guys' finances or destroy a, a, a weapon that they have or, or whatever. It's always like that. And that was just peak Star Wars too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the thing with the heist that that gave me was something that I didn't really think I would want out of the series. But when it gave it, I was like, oh, this is... This is, I never know I wanted this in Star Wars. Uh, Nemec. Yeah. And having this person and his manifesto and the philosophy behind the rebellion, because in all honesty, it's always just been like good guys versus bad guys. Yes. And that's how it's always been portrayed. Rebels good, Empire bad. Nemec puts a philosophy behind it. And I, it just, that did something I never thought I would expect to see in Star Wars, but they did it and they did it well. They brought it back for the end, you know, and, and you know, actually and it was hearing a philosophy it, um, that his was manifesto. Good. And, yeah. Yeah. That was good and evil. And it wasn't rooted in Jedi teachings or Sith. No. Yeah. It was, you know, humanity in terms of the evil, so to speak, and power and authority corrupting and, you know, very real world politics, but appropriate, you know? Oh, yeah politics like a lot of it pertains to the world now i thought yeah so absolutely yeah so we all we all know how like casting andor is gonna end up we know he's gonna die uh finding the death star plan so why do you think star wars chose this particular character to make a, a tv show on what what's what's special about andor so I don't think there's actually anything special about him. I think, um, you know, it was one of those things when the series came out, I was like, okay, we can maybe learn about him getting into the rebellion and, and some of that story. But I think as it was presented, they did something more than I wasn't expecting. I, like th- that's basically my theme of this series is, okay, here's my expectation for this show. And they subverted it in the best ways possible. Um, and, and so I don't feel like this was Cassian's story. Like it's the story of the rebellion. And he's just kind of a passive player throughout it, uh, which I think was a really interesting way of handling the first season because for the most part, he's not doing much. He's just there seeing other people doing things. And um, I think maybe in season two, we'll see more of him and, and his role in the rebellion. But yeah, I think it was an interesting, interesting choice the way that they've done this uh, because you know it was one of those things when it was first announced, I was like, okay, that could be cool. Yeah, But I think the way in which this series has been executed is just, like I said, subverted my expectations in the best way that I could have imagined. Despite this series being a prequel, do you felt oh, it sustained suspense? Absolutely. And because and, I think, you know, prequels, people get so caught up on like, well, we know what's going to happen. 
it's not a matter of what happens, it's more of how it happens. I think that's the important thing. Like, we know in the prequels, Anakin Skywalker is going to become Darth Vader. But how did he become Darth Vader? You know, uh, we know Anakin's, you know, or not Anakin, sorry. We know that Cassian Andor is going to die on Scarif. But how did he get to that point? How did he get to being this, you know, kind of heartless assassin, so to speak, in Rogue One? You know, who's willing to do these things, but yet, you know, kind of starts to pull back a little bit. So, uh, like I said, that was what really, really stood out to me. I wouldn't really call him an assassin as much as he is like a backstabber. Because an assassin is like, you know, okay, this guy needs to die. I'll go over here. I'll kill him. That'll be the end of it. Like, casting Andor, he's very personal when he kills people. Yeah. Like, he killed that that uh, police officer on that uh, corporate planet. He just cold, killed him cold blood. Like, that's not an assassin. He shot that... Uh, I think my Wi-Fi is acting That one here. pilot on Rogue One that was, that had information that would have like, just to like, that would have compensated the rebellion. He just straight up shot him because he had, a, he was physically wounded and he was going to slow Andor down. So he just, okay, you're, you're a loose end. Bye. Blam. Mm-hmm. You know? So Star Wars, in my opinion, is incredible because of how it takes a complex idea, like, like fascism, genocide, religious concepts like Hinduism and it presents it through the eyes of a hero's journey, like, you know, Joseph Campbell stuff. But Andor subverts the good versus evil trope and gives us morally ambiguous characters, more complex ideas like bureaucracy, war politics, colonization, militarized police, and for-profit prisons. And yet it still feels and looks like Star Wars. How is Andor successful in deepening the meaning of Star Wars? Um... I think what it does is it takes what have been core ideas in Star Wars, but just puts them at a much more, I would say, severe level. You know, this this idea of the mechanic versus the biological, right? Good, bad, these kinds of things. That's present everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this just takes it deeper, um, much more severe, the brutality of it. Yeah. I mean, the prison, I mean, you can't argue that that's probably not the most brutal prison that's been shown in a long time in oh. terms of like media, you know, um, like it's, it's scary, you know, and it, it, it's not something that star Wars usually has been where you're watching something and you're fearful of what's going to happen. Like, you know, that star Wars, most of the time when you watch it, it's going to be a fun adventure romp with, yeah, okay. There's going to be some tension. Like you're watching this, you know Cassian Andor will survive, but anybody else, you have no idea what's going to happen. Other than Mon Mothma, you know, you know she'll be fine. But you know, it's, it, there, there's a there's a fear that they're able to put in and make the Empire scary again. You know, the I think the Empire has always been there. Everybody likes the Empire because they got the cool toys, right? Everybody wants the Tie Fighter, the ATAT Walker, like they want those toys. But I think now people look back and they're like, oh yeah, let's forgot they're they're space Nazis. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a little bit of a squid game type of situation going on with that whole prison thing. They had to work. I mean, you know, squid game is different. You know, they were there on their own. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the ones yeah. that got themselves in that yeah. whole thing. But it was just like the old man and the whole prison, um, like, outfits and, 
like wanting to escape and everything. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I enjoyed those prison scenes and the brutality mm-hmm. of it was just so great. The prison scenes for me was just like, okay, this is the American dream. You know, just, just work really hard, you know, keep your head down and maybe you'll be free of like the burden of working. But no, they're like, no, you're, you're going to stay here for the rest of your life. Ugh. It was awful. So we were discussing this uh, during Christmas, but you talked about like this structure, how the prison implements this kind of like big brother overseeing eye on the prisoners, but actually doesn't enforce it all the time. Could you yeah, explain so, um, more of that? There's a lot of philosophy that goes into prisons. So uh, for those who don't know, I'm a teacher. Um, one of the things I also teach is like law and criminal justice and these kinds of things. And so there's actually a philosophy of, uh, of prisons that's out there. It's, it's this idea that um, it's called a panopticon. Basically what it is, it's perpetual surveillance. Um, you're, you're being watched all the time, or at least you think you're being watched all the time. And that's what forces you to obey. And it's, you know, we live near Chicago, near Stateville prison, and that was designed to be that type of prison. Um, wasn't successful, which I think kind of shows the issue of Panopticon in general, but, um, there's, it's a, it's a horrific design, you know, the, that mentally, psychologically you're, you're broken into obedience. Um, and yeah, I think the, you know, the series kind of does it in the star Wars way. Uh, but they, they did a really good job of showing, you know, how that sort of thing could actually be a very real, real thing. So Chris, being a historian as you are, does Andor resemble any type of historical figure or does the plot of the shell remind you of any point in history? So I'll say it doesn't really make me think of anything specific in history. Um, a lot of like decolonization themes, I'd say that, uh, obviously revolutions are pretty universal. Um, but he does remind me a little bit of say like a young Che Guevara. Uh, so, you know, Che Guevara, if you don't know, um, part of the Cuban revolution, he's very, you know, ironically plastered all over t-shirts, you know, (laughs) basically part of the capitalist machine at that point. But, um, he was a Argentinian revolutionary who, uh, you know, became involved in the Cuban Revolution with Fidel and Raul Castro. Got involved in Bolivian revolutions, um, but he was always somebody who kind of was moving from revolution to revolution, and his philosophy was changing as he was experiencing things. So I was always kind of being drawn to that. Also, doesn't hurt the fact that you know Diego Luna being Latino uh, and that Latino representation and and that being a very real part of you know Latin history and. and revolt uh so yeah i would see some of those connections there but not yeah, too much but he's very me. much latino and i if you follow him on instagram all his posts are in spanish oh yeah it's very authentic this historic historic cuban character was he directly involved with like jfk and the bay of pigs and all that stuff well, I mean, you would have had, you know, JFK and, and those kind of things to overthrow, you know, C- Castro and Cuba and, and those kind of things. So, yeah, it was it was later um, when he eventually ever left uh, Cuba. So he was very involved uh, in kind of the startup of kind of communist Cuba. But um, but yeah, so would, would JFK in this scenario have a Star Wars equivalent? 
Amanda's dying to know. JFK is her favorite president. <laughs> I'm more of an FDR guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who you would actually put JFK. Who would be the wealthy person who, you know, maybe, maybe kind of like a Mon Mothma or a Bail Organa, somebody from a place of wealth and. What you about know. that sleazy like mobster that's dealing with Mon Mothra on the show that just wants like political favors? Like, there's a lot- probably any of the sl- probably any of the sleazy mobsters that <laughs> Joe Kennedy was involved with. So yeah, it makes well, sense. A lot of the conspiracies <laughs> about JFK is that he was involved with the mob, and that's what got him killed. Yeah. So I would I would say that's the equivalent of JFK, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Fun, yeah. Fun fact, actually, the actor who played, um, you know, the kind of sleazy, you know, money guy, is actually the brother of uh, Stefan Delane, who played Stannis Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Like he's a, he's another Delane. So they kind of do a good job playing these gruff, somewhat unsavory characters. <laughs> well, he better watch out for those uh, those pigs in the Star Wars universe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Chris, being a teacher, what do you think? students or watchers of the show should learn from it? Well, I think it's how do you, as like, as a third world country or, you know, third world kind of people um, going against power. Um, I, I think that was also one of the things that I felt about the show that it did that other star Wars hasn't done. Um, you know, like I said, it's been rebellion versus the empire. This gave you the people um, and the people who have to deal with it. And it's a very almost Marxist view of history of how does, you know, power influence the people or the people, you know, revolt against that power. Um, Yeah. I think it was, it it just did a really interesting job of portraying that aspect. Um, Indigenous groups, you know, the planet where, you know, uh, the Aldani raid took place on, you know, on Aldani, the people of Aldani, you know, this indigenous culture, their their society, how did they react to the empire? Um, they just wanted their, their the same, fur. That's, that's right? <laughs> but, you know, I think it just kind of also showed the reality of colonizing in the world today, of how did the empire view those people, right? They're they're disposable. They're not necessary. We're just here for our resources. And I think it's part of this colonization as well, because he was pretty much adopted, like, from a third world planet and he didn't mm-hmm. speak whatever the star Wars characters equivalent of English is. And he's, he's yeah, basic, yeah. well. And yeah, I think, you know, I saw some people actually talking about, you know, that as, as almost a criticism of the show of like, Hey, you have somebody who just was kidnapped and adopted. Like that's a very real thing for, you know, groups of people. I mean, they where, do it all the time. So yeah, exactly. So but, um, but yeah, I think that was, you know, that's, that's an aspect of it, like the colonial experience. Uh, it, it was everywhere in the show. And, um, and I think, you know, really has not been a part of Star Wars, but it makes sense. If you have an empire, of course, there's going to be some sort of colonizing aspect. And it, it really hasn't been something that's been emphasized, but the show really did that. For me, the show is, it seems like the, the message that it's conveying to me is how you can, if you were just to work together with other people who are in the same boat as you, you could accomplish more. Like there's mm-hmm. all these different fractions of the rebellion, like Saul Guerrero and then the people in Andor's planet and like 
all of all these different groups and they're not all on the same page yet. And yeah. that's kind of how the rebellion uh, it needs it needs like a person like Luke Skywalker to come along or Mon Mothra or Leia to be like, okay, mm-hmm. we're all one rebellion. We all have the same goal. What can we accomplish? Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that this show did too is Luthen, he is this character who wants to control the rebellion and you can't. And I think at the finale, you kind of start to see him realize like, you know, he wants to be in control. He wants to dictate, you know, who wins, who loses, who dies, you know, the fact that he's able to, you know, basically write off an entire cell yes. of the rebellion to keep his information, right? Um, that he's, he's willing to do that. You know, he's wanting to keep control. But I think when they're at Ferrix in the finale, he realizes, I, this is not mine. The rebellion is its own thing. I can't control this. And I think that was kind of, that's at least what I got when he was overlooking, you know, the town and Rick's Road when... Uh, you know, basically you're just hearing the gunfire and he almost has this look of shock because I don't think he's actually experienced the rebellion before. I think that's his first time of actually truly experiencing it. And um, I think he realized like he can't control it. So, Amanda, do you have, what do you think Andor is about? Like, what did you learn from this show? Basically what you said and also just bringing in the whole aspect of it doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor or in between like middle class. You know, if you have the same idea you can all work together and create just something big and great. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, another thing that, that this show did and star Wars has not done this for me in a long time. If ever it left me saying, okay, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do in my world now to better other people? Like, I think, you know, Marva's speech at the end of, you know, talking about, you know, waking up, not sleeping on the empire, not letting them do what they want, that, you know, you need to be awake, you need to be paying attention, you need to be fighting and those kind of things. I think this show, it, it, it was a call to action that Star Wars has not done, you know? And, and so it, I've, t- I've talked to other people who have watched the show and they've said like, yeah, it, it made me, you know, especially during an election season kind of think like, yeah, I need to go vote. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, um, yeah, I think it, Star Wars is powerful when it, it has a message like that. Yeah, you so. don't need to be wealthy and you don't need, need to be related to a Jedi. No old man is going to come save you on a farm. The battle mm-hmm. is yours to start. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, Chris, but Andor really isn't like having that pop culture phenomenon like the Mandalorian or even the Bubba Fett show when it was, you know, even a, a more negatively received show, it wasn't, Andor's not catching with mainstream audiences. Like Now it's on broadcast television. It's being broadcast on ABC. It's on Hulu. So why do you think Andor hasn't drummed up excitement despite being so universally praised? Well, I think uh, it's hard to sell. I'll put it that way. It's not a, you aren't going to get toys from Andor. Um, you know, not many people are going to, you know, kids aren't going to be wanting their, inter- you know, Imperial, you know, ISB, you know, play set of sitting around the table and talking about, you know, politics. But I think, you know, it, like I said, it's not marketable, which Mandalorian has that because you have Grogu and that thing can sell anything. Right. Yeah, you just and got a gift you, bag yesterday with Grogu on it. <laughs> exactly, right? So, like I said, it's 
you can sell anything with that thing's face on it. So Mandalorian sellable, right? It's it's the Star Wars marketing machine at its finest. Still a good story, but you know it has that. Obi Wan versus Darth Vader. You're going to pull people in for that. Boba Fett. It's Boba Fett, right? It's all of these things that people have either asked for or it's the marketing. I mean, this is not that kind of show. Like this is the show where it's like, oh, I'm I'm going to attend a political science lesson and a history lesson and feel depressed while watching 12 episodes. Like it's, it's not that type of show where most people are going to enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah. It would be like going to like a political rally or like a political science, like form and then walking through a gift shop. Like, would you really buy anything? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I would buy Nemec's manifesto. I know that much, like throw that on audible. I'd gladly listen and buy that, but you know, <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> So what are you expecting out of the second season of this show? Like, I don't even like know how close we are to Rogue One and how far we are removed from um, Revenge of the Sith. I mean, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. So this is about five to six years before Rogue One, season one. And so Tony Gilroy has said that this next season is going to have some time jumps. And I was always kind of iffy about that, but basically the way that they handled the story arcs in season one, I think that's what it's going to be. You'll have one arc is kind of like one time period. You'll have a little time jump to another thing. And so I think it's going to have a little bit of a different flow, but they already said that this is going to take you right up to Rogue One. So, um, yeah, I mean, what am I expecting? I think you're going to see a lot more of Cassian as the actual protagonist. <laughs> you know, like I said before, I think he was, he's very passive in season one. Um, but I think he's going to be much more active in season two. Um, I'm excited to see them actually, you know, bring K2SO into the series. Um, I just, we saw him for just a bit. He did. Well, it was another, it was another K, KX droid. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of those, but uh, not necessarily him specifically. Yes. The only thing that I hope does not happen, and it's the whole thing of like, well, he's not anywhere else, is I really hope uh, B2 Emo survives because that little droid is, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's the marketing of yeah. this. <laughs> if you're going to sell it, little little sad, depressed, you know, needs a Xanax droid is, is the prime example. He's just a little dog. I mean, he's got a dog bed charging station. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's like. <laughs> but... Um, Somebody described him as a sad little basset hound, and that hit my heart with our two little basset hounds. Yeah. So uh, it, it made sense. <laughs> I think it would be really cool to, to kind of play around with, like, flash forwards and flashbacks in the next season. I mean, Dago Luna was yeah. shaved for most of the season, so I expect mm -hmm. we'll get a little jump ahead, and we'll see him with a beard, and then we'll, we'll jump back to more pivotal moments between those years, and he'll be clean-shaven, and We'll see Mon Mothra get that uh, pixie haircut that she has. So, Right. See, and, you know, actually, like, there's some things that they've done um, in other series, like Rebels. I wouldn't mind seeing them actually bring to live action. Like, you know, Mon Mothra's speech where she basically rejected the Empire and said that she was starting the rebellion, like, publicly. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to them maybe bringing some of that stuff to live action because, I mean, those were pretty cool moments that a lot of people probably don't know because they don't watch the animated stuff because they think it's for kids, so, which I think is a disappointment. Would but you yeah. be opposed for them kind of like recreating and kind of like overstepping on the toes of these animated shows and like recreating scenes 
are we? Not, I mean, not necessarily like to recanonize and change it, but I mean, if you just include that in its own way, I don't see anything wrong with it. Um, because I mean, it, good writing is good writing. If it's already there and it fits into your story, there's nothing wrong with, I think, showing it in a different way. So, yeah. I know, I know me and the man that we probably won't ever watch Clone Wars. So like, we really want to see some Ahsoka scenes with her being a mentor being mentored by Anakin. So we want to see that stuff live action. Yeah. Well, we don't know if we'll get it, but we can hope. <laughs> I'm really excited to see in season two, what happens to Lutheran because he is, he's just, he's right up there with like casting as far as like a viable explosive character that you can't, he's like a wild card leading a wild card army. He's just, you can't expect what he's going to do next. And we don't know uh, in the movies, like if he ever pops up again. So, what do you think is going to happen with him? Uh, I think he's going to die. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I think you know he might be somebody though who kind of almost is the counter to the you know ISB, basically like more of like rebel intelligence. He kind of already plays that role, and Cassian fits that. But like, there's other people in Rogue One that we kind of meet that fit that mold. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you see him pulling more people like that, having his own group. Um, but yeah, he's, I don't think he's making it out alive. That's for sure. So yeah, someone is going to corner him outside of his super cool spaceship and they're going <laughs> to shoot him in the back. And rob the or it's going to be, or it's going to be a, or it's going to be a mafia kind of thing of takes him out in his antique shop. So yeah, I mean, he, the place out. he's like the Star Wars equivalent of like Batman. He's got like this double life. He's super rich. He's got this like super cool ship that he flies around in. He's got he's got a disguise, like yeah, black cape, black cape flying. Black cape. He's got a black cape. <laughs> and he's played by Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> yes. So, outside of of Star Wars, as the year wraps up, what are you looking forward to next year, Chris? As far as movies um, and shows go, well, shows definitely Mando season three. Um, I'm, that show is kind of blowing me away with what it can be. Um, so I'm looking forward to see what that ends up being. Um, but man, Indiana Jones five that I'm so excited about that. <laughs> so that was probably one of my first um, true fandoms was Indiana Jones as a kid. So having Indy back always a good time. It, you know, obviously four kind of a bad taste but so hopefully with five you know they can they can close it out good and uh at least from the trailer what's seen so far looks pretty good and yeah entertaining so yeah the aging technology is really great i'm looking forward to seeing young well old harrison ford play young harrison ford <laughs> younger you know. harrison ford at least <laughs> yeah um i know yeah i know the the director i think is james mangold Yep, and correct. I want to say he created one of the best superhero movies ever in my eyes, which is yep. Logan. Logan blew me away. Um, so I'm looking forward to more practical Indiana Jones stuff. Mm-hmm. And I want the thing yeah. I want to see in this movie is I want to see Indiana Jones get beat the crap out of. Like he needs to be a struggling hero. He needs to he needs to get knocked down. He needs to dust himself off. And then he needs to get back up and fight. Like mm-hmm. that yeah. what was that's what was missing from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Like he became like this unstoppable character and he didn't have any like physical struggles. 
Yeah, not really. I mean, other than the occasional point where when he was captured, but even that wasn't that much. It was quick to get out of it. Because every other movie, there's always been something where he's, you know, how's he going to get out of this one kind of thing. Yeah, he's you almost know. like James Bond in a way where you're like, okay, how's he going to get out of that? Yep. Speaking of, um, tell me your thoughts on this. Should he be the American James Bond? Like in the sense of recast him and just keep him going? Harrison Ford? I mean, yeah, I mean, Jones? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think the fact that Harrison Ford is playing this character into his 80s is a testament to the fact that he doesn't want anyone else touching it. Yeah. Um, I know he was probably, he, he didn't really care about Star Wars at all, but I'm pretty sure he was upset when they're like, yeah, we're going to recast this young Solo, this young Solo yeah. guy. Um, I don't think he can replicate Harrison Ford. Like, See, but here's what I feel, though. Like, you can't replicate Sean Connery. You can't replicate some of these other people. You can just have a new iteration, but yet still keep the same spirit. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, after seeing this, I'm like, I just need more Indiana Jones in my life, and you're not always going to have it with Harrison Ford. So, um, you know, bring somebody new in who nobody really knows who they are, who they can take on the role, you know, as long as you have the same spirit, kind of, you know, how James Bond is to, you know, England. Make that Indiana Jones for the U.S., you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, James Bond for a while was James Bond, but now being as far ahead as we are, we have we have Jason Bourne, we have um, Kingsman, we have uh, 24. We have all these different characters who kind of have like mm-hmm. the James Bond equivalency, John Wick as well. And I don't know if if Her- if Indiana Jones is going to be an interesting character in a couple of years when they decide to reboot this, because we have we have right. Laura Croft, we have Uncharted, we have all sorts of other things that could potentially replace him in the eyes of pop culture as the kind of swashbuckling like temple raider guy which would be a shame because who is the original he is the original <laughs> you know what i mean so which obviously is playing on tropes from other things from like the 50s and whatnot but errol flynn but yeah i think you know i think it'd be a shame to just let him let him go away that'd be my thought but <laughs> i mean for me it'd be like okay zorro is really cool zorro was like a character with an identity he wore a mask he fought crime but then we got batman and how many people are gonna go oh batman is pales to zoro like yeah mm-hmm. um i'm amanda and i are really looking forward to ant-man and the wasp yes quantum mania mm-hmm. um and we're looking forward to loki season two mm-hmm. getting back to ant-man and the wasp i really feel like it's gonna surprise a lot of people about how serious is how serious it's mm-hmm. going to be if you watch that trailer there's only one joke in it and the rest yeah. of it is just beauty shots and mm-hmm. like mystique and and wonder and jonathan majors is so ripped yeah i didn't even realize we saw him in another trailer for a different movie creed 3 creed 3 mm-hmm. and i'm like yep that's Jonathan Majors without a shirt on? Holy crap. Because like, he's just so cloaked up in Loki season one. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like, okay, he is actually probably a real threat. Yeah. So here's the thing. Like, yeah, we didn't really see him. Are we going to get much of Luis, Kurt, and Dave? I hope so. Uh, I want Luis. I, mean, I need those, uh, <laughs> those uh, story, story time. Right? <laughs> the monologues, yes. yeah. 
I feel like the very beginning of the movie is going to be like a monologue from Luis just recapping everything that happened. That'd be awesome. Right. That would be ideal. Because yes. then we could have like all the other Avengers being dubbed over by him and that would that would make me crack <laughs> up. I would laugh. Right. <laughs> I just want a whole retelling of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Luis. There we go. Yep. <laughs> so- that can be what if season three. And we're <laughs> we're thinking like who from the Loki series could potentially pop up in this movie. And I think mm-hmm. Renslayer could be a really good one. Like maybe even a different variant of her because she is King's lover essentially, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. that'd be interesting. For me, when yeah. I, when I watch Loki and now going into Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I just look at Sylvia. And I'm like, this woman is going to be the leader of the Avengers going forward. She's amazing. Like how how twi- how big of a twist would it be that a variant of the original Avengers villain is the leader of the next wave of Avengers? That would be so cool. To that me. would mm-hmm. be awesome. I love Sylvie. Yep. Yeah, that's that's the one thing where it just kind of how that season ended and kind of leaving like, okay, where is she? What's she up to? You know, that's all questions. All questions. So, so excited yep. for Loki season two. That's probably going to be like the thing of 2023 for me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I am very excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And there's like a couple horror movies coming out. Uh, well, they were, they're announced, but, you know, not confirmed that I'm looking forward to. So, uh, but yeah, definitely Loki season two for me. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm sure probably sometime over, over winter break here, I'll probably see Avatar and who knows, maybe if Avatar 3 comes out on schedule, who knows how that'll fit yeah. after seeing Way of the Water, but yeah. That's probably going to be our season premiere episode is going to be Avatar. So, yeah. we're, we're, you know, I've, I have not seen the first Avatar, regrettably. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I know. I'm, I'm terrible. I mean, I watched clips in school, like we would analyze some of the CGI and all that in animation class, but... I never sat down and watched it. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to go see the second one. It's a disservice yeah. that you don't see it in 3D in an IMAX theater. It's, it's, it's <laughs> right. the only way to watch yeah. it in my eyes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's part of the whole experience. Yeah. I think, you know, and the only other thing really, I mean, I mean, there's a bunch of other things I'm looking forward to, but the one thing that when it was announced, I was kind of like, okay, what's this going to be? But the more and more that I'm kind of hearing Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's new movie about you know, John J. Oppenheimer and the creation of the nuclear bomb history teacher, obviously, but you know, I just love a good Nolan movie and I'm very interested to see what that's going to be mm-hmm. too. That's awesome. So that, that that's going to be great. I mean, Christopher Nolan, he doesn't disappoint a lot and he, he's no. just, the, he's just the king of suspense and action in my eyes. Yeah. And I'll, you know what? I'll say it. He is, and there's <laughs> some people will probably disagree. In my opinion, he is this era's Kubrick. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, he, like Interstellar, a lot of people struggle with Interstellar. I per- particularly love every bit of that movie, um, just because of the science that it plays with. And I, I think, you know, all of his films just just do so much. And you know, even the popcorn films like the Dark Knight trilogy, you know, they're still just great film in on their own, let alone comic book movies. But um, yeah, I, I'm, he's always. He's one of the always must-sees for me, is, is Christopher Nolan. you got to appreciate Interstellar when they actually were able to publish research papers off of the information they gathered from making the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually saw something, too, where there was a one of the uh, physicists who was working on it said, you know, when they finally got a picture of a black hole, people were like, well, I thought you said that your model for Interstellar was what a black hole would look like. He goes, well, yeah, but here, take 
take with the model here, turn it 90 degrees, and then put it as if we were actually looking at it from space, and it looked exactly the same. <laughs> so I was like, so no, yeah, we were correct. It's just we're closer and more <laughs> able to actually see it in the movie. I'm like, it's insane. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it because at that time I was in physics too, and I had skipped mm-hmm. physics one because I had took, taken meteorology instead. So I jumped into like, you know, quantum physics, time travel, black holes, space. And then I, that movie came out. I was like, "Wow, what a great way to visualize all of that stuff!" <laughs> like, like space, uh, like time dilation. I think it's called. Like, what a great way to mm-hmm. just yep. conceptualize that. It takes you like out of body just thinking about this stuff too. Like when you yep. just sit down and you think about like just everything, like every detail of life. Like, yeah, it gets like, overwhelming. Like if if like there are if there is life on other planets and they yeah. built like a giant telescope and they looked at Earth, they could possibly see just dinosaurs. Yeah. So what what if they're over there? They're like, this whole planet is just covered in giant lizards, man. We right. can't go over there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Interesting. Uh, so speaking of Avatar, I know I know you're not particularly a fan of Avatar: Last Airbender, Chris, but. Mm-hmm. Me, it's me and Amanda's like favorite show. Yeah. Um, so we're looking forward to the live adaptation on Netflix. Uh, very much so. Um, they're not going to be able to do anything with it until Avatar: Wave of Water comes out and like markets itself, just because of the confusion with the name. Like, yeah. My mom was talking to me yesterday, and she's like, "Oh, you're going to go see Avatar? I saw you liked Avatar. I got you that cookbook, and I got you that calendar." I was like. That's a different avatar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all exciting things happening. And unfortunately, we are running out of time. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this week. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me again. I yes. appreciate it. Um, and guys, please have a happy holidays. Stay safe out there. And make sure you guys are following our website, which is posted in the description. And we're on Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, you know, it's another story. I've mentioned that before, Um, but yeah, make sure you're following us and we will be posting when our season premiere will be for, what are we on? We're on the fifth season already. That's crazy. So yeah, I'm very excited. We have some fun things planned. Six seasons in a movie. Yeah, we are. (laughs) We are um, planning on some fun things as well. So stay tuned. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you later.